Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're going. This is 101 Part-Time Jobs, this time with an old friend, a good friend, Will Gould of Creeper, who, if you didn't know, announced their new record, Sex, Death and the Infinite Void, 
to be coming out this May, which is next month now. He, when we met about 10 years ago, he was working at Love Film, which if you don't remember what it was, was a kind of DVD subscription service where he would stand on the high street in Southampton and collar people and try and get their bank details for them to sign up. I knew he had some good stories, but what I didn't know was how many good stories he had and what absolutely gems of stories, including one working at Domino's Pizza, standing at traffic lights on a motorway, dressed up as a pizza box, trying to get people. Look, I don't want to go into it. He got robbed at an off-license too. He worked at HMV, where later on they did Creeper to signing session like a year later after he worked there on the floor. It's a lot longer than normal because he's got loads of funny things to say and we haven't spoken in a few years. So basically we've made up for that time now. I hope you enjoy it. I definitely did. He even talks about getting signed on the day that he lost his job. So look, there's everything here and he digs into meeting Mark Hoppus, speaking with Travis Barker and then eventually going with the producer they did go for and finding inspiration from T-Rex. Yeah, this is a sick one. It's longer than normal because we had just so much to talk about. Thank you so much for listening. If you do want to subscribe and rate, please do that. I think someone's left, I think there are four reviews on my Apple iTunes. I'm pretty sure they're all from friends using pseudonyms. So if you do like this, if you want to help me out, please leave a review, make it five stars, obviously, and, and say something nice if you want to. But it would be really kind if you did. So thank you very much. 101 part-time jobs with William Gould from Creeper. All right. I was working from, from the time I was 15. My mum only got a job at 15. And I worked at um, a one stop um, at the end of the road um, where I used to live in Southampton. And it was a, actually like a pretty sick job, to be honest. But like uh, loads of weird shit would happen all the time. Like and it, 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 there was um, for a while I got put on the little bakery. They had a little bakery in the one stop. And so I was in charge of that for a short minute, which was cool. But uh, Kay used to work there. Do you know my friend Kay? And we, were, we were working together one night on, at a one stop. And uh, it was just me and her. I, I can't even remember how old we were, but um, two um, two like lads came in in like balaclavas, and it was like late, you know, it was like half nine or something. And um, I was like, I had a cup of coffee, and I made like Kay a coffee. And um, these lads, I was like, you, you're right, and they were like, give us all the cash. And I was like, what? They're like, give us all the fucking cash, and they jumped over the counter. Like over the counter, Kay's just crying. I can't do anything. I can't get to the panic button because it's like like this guy's in the way. And poor Kay, she's like, like uh, he, he he's out open the tills, and I'm like, fuck, I haven't like cashed like you know done a, a cash out or whatever you do, take the money out in like ages. So there's loads of money in there. They take all the money, and Kay's like, she's like, they're like fill the bags with some with some money, and so like Kay's like stuffing like this one stop bag just full of money. And then she turns around while she's crying. Bless her. We always laugh about it. She went, do you want the ones and twos? And then the guy goes, I don't want the fucking ones or twos. And I was oh like, my God. Oh my and then God. as they're leaving, they're about to leave. Were you, were you scared? Yeah, I was just shocked. Like, I was just kind of shocked about the whole thing because it's like, it was like a sleepy little place, but loads of weird, it would get ram raided all the time. Like, it was, it was quite like rough kids would come in, but it wasn't a particularly rough area. Um, but like as, as the guy leaves man this is the funniest bit he turns to me like one of the wet bandits from Home Alone and goes Merry Christmas <laughs> as he leaves <laughs> like it was so funny and then we had to like call the police and like a, the guy had to come and yeah so that was what I did to support the early days of toying in a band um, that was my first job it, it became like a Tesco um, and I hated working for Tesco 
Were you were you touring a lot of them when you worked at One Stop? Yeah, I was, I was touring a lot, like constantly. Like we were just, it, but they were so flexible with me. You know that you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the jobs that you get that will just uh, let you pick it up and put it down are like, like a godsend when you're doing this because uh, and they just didn't care. They would like, like as long as you you kind of worked hard when you were there, they didn't mind at all. Um, but like it like. It, it ended up just being a case of I got a job at HMV just after that, uh, which I was really stoked on. You know, like everyone's got that romantic notion that you're going to uh, work in a record store, and what you actually end up doing is, um, you know, counting DVDs um, at six in the morning every day. And you know, it's like not what you want to be doing at all. I, I started off as a Christmas temp, and I was it was always like my dream job because I loved I loved record shopping and. Um, and I got all my music from HMB when I was a kid. You know, I used to go there on the day records came out to buy the records because it was so exciting. You know, it was obviously a, a little bit of a different time when we were, when we were younger. Yeah, um, the world is changing so quickly now. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember um, literally uh, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be amazing! I'm going to be able to like listen listen to whatever I want." And in the daytime, they had their own playlists and things, so it'd be like Michael Bublé in the daytime. But then you did these late shifts. And they let you play whatever you wanted across the whole floor. So I remember what came out, like, like an Against Me record or something came out uh, at the time. And I just had that on over and over and over again overnight. And uh, it was amazing. That was like so sick because I'd never done a job where I got to listen to the records all day before. It wasn't quite the high fidelity dream, uh, you know, that you want, but um, it was it was cool. Did, did, did you get like a certain level of respect from your bosses or your colleagues because you were because you were touring the arts on that here record came out and it came in stock downstairs and i remember that being really cool but like it being like it's not really yeah that must have been amazing it was so sick at the time it was really cool and the the, the rest of the team like put it out on on display like uh downstairs like you know put it as a promo for the week because i was local and stuff so that was really cool and i loved all that side of it it was um it was like a really weird a really weird time and you know what years later i came back with creeper and did a did an inst- did like a signing there uh and so, and some of the people I worked with at the time were still there, and so that was really cool, and they were really nice to me and really proud of me and stuff. So, so that was that was really really rad. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a, it was a, a weird um, time in my life when I worked there. Like I, I was living with Ricky as well, and at this point, and uh, that was the first time I lived with Ricky. Oh, actually, maybe I was still living in a studio apartment. I used to live in a studio apartment, Giles. I don't know if you ever came over actually. But um, I had to I had to move out of my mum's house really quickly when I was uh, like 18, 19. And uh, I lived in a studio apartment at the top of like this really old house, like in the roof. And it had like one of those pound coin machines. You had to put pound coins in and wind it, you know, for, for electric. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, it's really fucking old. It was horrible. There was like rats in the walls at the time. And there was a rat that kept coming into the kitchen all the time, like like while I was sleeping. He claw- like he nibbled all through the wall and came in. And... Um, I tried to polyfiller it up, and he ate all through that, and came back in again. And we used to try and, you know, try and steal stuff. And so then I, had, I got like an old barbecue. We had like a, like a barbecue on the on like in the park or something. I had the grill from the barbecue. And I had to put that over it. That's the only way I could stop this rat coming in my house. <laughs> and uh, Ricky came over one day, and he just basically said, "You can't, you can't live here. This is horrible. Come live with me." And so that's how I ended up living with him for the first time. But that resulted in like just going out. We would just have people stay all the fucking time. But that house was like a real shithole. It was really gross. Um, I remember like Bren from the Lawrence Arms stayed and made this video about how disgusting that, that was like, and shared it on social media. Like, like, yeah, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, I remember like um, 
what I would do all the time at that period when I was trying to write, I would um, I had one of those really old phones. I never had got an iPhone until I was kind of much older. I could never really afford to have an iPhone. Um, so I had this one of those first uh, kind of um, camera phones. You could call little voice notes on it. And I used to run out to the toilet and 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 uh, in the, when I was in work, and put my back on the back of the cubicle door and just record little voice notes of ideas I had, the songs. So it was quite cool. I I could you know, I, I'm sure you've done a similar thing. Just the the, the musician's kind of um, voice note folder is always just full of uh, maybe potentially garbage, but sometimes little bits of little nuggets of ideas, you know. Um, but it, it'd be much different for you because because Creeper is a it's a fully formed idea. You know, I, I feel like as a, from a fan's point of view, it's from from the start it had this well thought out narrative arch and this you know meanings behind everything. You know, everything was there for a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Like these things, the, the reason this all takes so long to do is because there's such intricate detail that goes into all of it. Um, and if you're a fan of that, of that sort of storytelling and like that, the sort of like um, the tiny little nuances and things, uh, then like well, I, I, we, we work really hard at that. And so it's it's for those people who who are looking to notice those things and to try and find the the Easter eggs. But like it's not it's more than just an Easter egg, you know. Like if you want. If you want to look into something that we've been doing, we try to make it so it can be, you know, you're rewarded the more you pay attention to things. Um, you can get further in the things we're doing, you know, because of that. Were you thinking of those little details and those, you know, those storylines and those characters and those those voices? Were, were you thinking of those whilst you were working um, these jobs at One Stop or at HMV? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you said you were going into the toilets and doing voice notes. Would that, would that happen a lot? That would happen all the time. My phone was just—it's just full of—it's um, just full of content for these things. Like when I, the second house I lived in with Ricky was when I really started doing Creeper, and uh, my bedroom was just a fucking mess. But like on the walls, I had all these movie uh, printouts, screenshots of loads of different films um, that I was looking to reference for Creeper. But I wanted to see them every day. I wanted them to be the last thing I, I saw when I went to sleep and the first thing I woke up because so I wanted to immerse myself. The nature of um, of the way I, 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 the only way I can really do this stuff is I have to be all in and it has to be all the time. I have to be switched on because I lose, I have a really short attention span. And so I want to feel immersed and I want to feel inspired all the time. So I lived, I lived these with this stuff all around me constantly. My room was just a, I found some photos of it the other day, actually, um, sort of from that room of Ricky. And you can see all of the, all of the things that I would go on to use for different things for Creeper for ages. But it takes a while because you end up like finding a tool and then um, find, like, I'm thinking that would be perfect to use for creeper for something. Um, but it's not, I can't, I don't want to shoehorn it in anywhere. So I'll keep that and come back to it. Like, so my girlfriend um, now Charlotte was in uh, the creeper, the, the last creeper narrative in the, in the, in the story for our last record. But when I first met her, um, I, I saw her and I, and I thought, Oh good. Like um, she's, she would be perfect to, to, to play a character at some point. She's so dramatic in the way she, she dresses and, and her makeup when I first met her. And I, I remember thinking, I could, I, you would be so perfect to, to use for something, but I had nothing to use her for at that point, like to, to, to collaborate with. And um, the first time I got, I, we started working together, I, I logged it in my head and I was just like, well, at some point I'll need somebody for something. And when that person, when that spot comes available, I know that I'll have the perfect piece for that puzzle, you know? You're just taking real life experiences and immortalizing them practically. Yeah, but it's it's very very difficult different to the way um, like in in a sense when I'm doing Creeper we're, we're never singing we're very rarely um, 
singing about things that are, are happening. Um, you know, it's not like it used to be when I first started writing songs, where it would be literally about what was going on in my life at that exact moment. These are like mm. a thread of, of, of reality and then an entire kind of um, facade built on top of them, you know, like and made into like something that's like a, you know, um, I've been asked in the past about like, oh, what, what's is, that, is this song about that thing that happened? And I'll, I'll, it'll be a song that's literally about like a sleep demon that I've, I've created, you know, like for the first. So it'll, it's, it's a really different type of, um, uh, of writing um, than, um, than, than, than other people. So it is taking things from the real world, but it's taking things from the real world and, and uh, kind of ushering them into like this kind of weird fantasy, you know. Um, I often like to think of the characters and and, and everything like uh, you know in Big Fish. You ever seen Big Fish that, that film? Yeah, um, amazing film. Oh, that's incredible. Amazing like I, I always like to think of them like the songs are almost like those stories that he tells in Big Fish. You know, they're kind of much heightened, much more dramatic, and much more um, fanciful versions of, of of the real world. They're um, kind of yeah, it's, it's it's and that's kind of how it how it works. Um, it's a it's a really bizarre setup. Um, but anyway, that job in HMV, man, that, that job in HMV, I, I literally threw up. I, I, I would be recording a song like one day and then throwing up in that same cubicle that I just wrote that song that in for, for drinking too much with Ricky the next day, you know? Like, we'd have bands stay constantly. Like, I constantly had people over. Like, it was it's so funny. And that's something that's never really changed throughout my life. Even when I was the Creeper, Dan Andriano stayed over with, with bangers um, at my old house. Um, it was so cool, like because obviously I had to try and downplay how much of a massive fan I was. Um, but I we, we've had, like, me and Ricky had uh, Tim Barry stay. We had, um, and, you know, I, I think I got him to sign my Avail VHS. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, Jeff, Jeff Rickley stayed. We had so many cool people stay. And that's kind of what punk rock is. Do you feel like being, being around that and hanging out with those people, did that sort of, <clears throat> I guess maybe it's hard to say, but do you reckon that instilled a kind of sense that, you know, that's what you could do. You could do that for a living. Um, yeah, I, I think like I was really underconfident in my abilities when I was younger. Um, I, I, I loved making and, 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 and creating things, but I was I was quite nervous. And I've always had a little bit of a stutter. I had a much worse one when I was a kid. So I never felt like I would be um, like I, I didn't think I was a very accomplished performer, really. And I felt like everyone could sing really well. And I was always, always trying to learn how to sing and stuff. I felt like I was a few steps behind everyone. Um, but what I really liked about punk rock was that it, it didn't matter. It didn't judge you for, for your ability as long as like you, it had a heart and it, and it had like a, a hook and, um, and it came from a good place and it had a good ethic. Like then you would, you, everyone was welcome. And I found that like a really uh, exciting place to be, especially for somebody who, who uh, was still trying to find, you know, I was trying to work out what I could do and, and what, you know, what I, what I was able to do in terms of that world, in terms of songwriting and stuff. So I just found it a really fertile place to kind of grow that side of myself. Um, and I think a lot of people do. That's why, why punk rock constantly delivers a high caliber of, um, of music all the time. And an artist it constantly delivers. You, more often than not, you find that they're from scenes like that. I think it's really cool. Well, it has to be real, right? It has to be real. And you, you can smell it when it's not real. Oh, man, yeah. Like... Uh, you know, we're, talk- we're doing this podcast now, talking about jobs to support ourselves while we tour. You know, um, and uh, that's that's it's, it, you kind of live and breathe it. If you like, you know, there's no, there's no way uh, that you can, um, 
there's no way you can get up there and fake it. Like I, even though, like even what I do now, you know, which is is is, is quite heavily removed from um, DIY punk and things, I still mean it every day. At the time I'm, I'm on stage, I still it's still it's the uh, collection of a million different uh, experiences and kind of uh, that goes into the character that I play on stage. It's it's it, yeah, it's it's kind of um, it, there's a reality to the fantasy sometimes, you know, and. Um, yeah, punk rock's amazing. That's that's why it's so sick. That's how we met. You know, that's how like I met all my friends. My friends, I moved to Manchester as I said recently, um, and all the people I knew here, I I met through punk rock years ago. Still the same friends that I've had for years. I've you know, it's really cool. Um, I think you're very lucky to find yourself in a world like that when you're younger. And I I wish uh, I still I I hope that people are still um, kind of connecting in those ways i know they are but like uh I, I, sometimes i feel a little disconnected from, from diy punk uh as i get older because you know i operate in a little bit of a different place now um but like it, it uh is it's still such a big part of my life when um my formative years like it was so important to me i i, I used to love it like like going to house shows at like paul and kerry's house and before that um there, there, there was one with this, yeah the homestead like that punk house like if people don't know what that is that's like a, I used to hang out there all the time. It was uh, kind of a punk house in Southampton. That's not it's still there actually, but it's, it's not. Um, you can't live there anymore. Um, but all those shows, I, I used to go see the Steel. Yeah, like the, like I remember going to Fifty Eight A, Andy's old house, like all of that stuff was just I don't know. It, it, it's so ingrained. It, it still feels like a part of my DNA in a way. Um, I just got a Steel tattoo. Did you? What did you get? I it's, it's I, I got the light bulb. But it's oh, like, cool. it's, it's the only kind of band tattoo. I think it's the only band tattoo I have. And like, you know, it's it's probably, what, 10 years since, just over 10 years since Bright Grey was released. What, what does Steel mean to you, Dove? It means, Steel means like just fully wholehearted believing in yourself. And within that, having a kind of fountain of youth in a sentence. That's a really good uh description of, of how that band makes me feel you know too. I mean? like that, that yeah there, there was such a special time because it makes you want to jump around because sometimes you want to jump around for a big reason you know something's happened or something's gonna happen or something you know something in mind but other times you just want to jump around for no real reason other than it's just a normal day with a bright gray sky yeah you know what i mean and i that in, that band just encapsulate encapsulates like the massive things and the small things all in one in one big experience you know what i mean it was a i think it, absolutely and i think like it's such a special band uh like in, uh, i don't know what what it was like with them else in other countries but like especially in this country it didn't it didn't matter where you saw them play what part of the country everyone was was there for the same reason and everyone loved them they were like universally loved and i just think i don't know i remember doing a show with artan down here um and it was like it was ceremony and Peter Black and the Steel Headlines. Yeah, that was their last ever gig. That was their yeah, last that's ever right. Show. Yeah, we played that gig, but like Ian was there, obviously. I don't know, even know if Ian was in our time down here at that point. I can't really remember how that was. What time? That's when he got hit in the was. head. Yeah, Sean, Sean, uh, Sheehy, Sheehy fucking stage died and just kneed him in the face and it broke his, it broke his nasal passage and he was thrown up everywhere. But Tolly. Um, sent to, took him to the hospital and then paid for him to have a hotel in Kingston that night. And that's the sort of stuff you don't even, you know, just, you, there's plenty of uh, stories people know how, about how brilliant John Tolly is, but like, that's a story that no one knows. Um, but he was just did that. 
my story with John Tolley, uh, it, it wasn't exactly the most um, fruitful meeting, but I'd been, I'd gone to a few banquet shows. So maybe, I mean, I knew who he, who he was. He probably didn't know who, who I was, but I was going to the Steel Bright Grey release show. So it must've been about a year before that night. And I borrowed an ID from a friend from school. And you know, when like Backers Club, the bouncers were really harsh. Oh man, yeah, I do. Yeah, they were like re- so. Like basically, I like totally fluffed it and like got the wrong address on like on the ID that I had. They were basically like, "We're going to hand you into the police. Like we're going to hand in this fake ID. Sorry, this this real ID of somebody else to the police, and you're going to have to basically speak to the police about it." And JT stepped in and was like, "No." I'm going to take this. He's okay. So I had to get driven by my stepdad the next day, all the way down from Kingston to Kingston from Watford to pick it up from JT. And that was the first time we met. <laughs> that was like, well, that was the first experience we had. Dude, those bouncers at Backers, they're like horrible. <laughs> they're really mean. Dude, there was one time like, yeah, like I got like, I don't know what I was I was doing. I was, it was kind of, you know, chaos years. So I was just like, you know, it was one of the nights. Anyway, like I left like my phone downstairs and they wouldn't let me back in the club. So like, uh, and I was a to be honest. Now I'm remembering it. Now I'm starting to remember that I was probably a dick. Uh, but I I, I snuck past them. <laughs> I snuck past them to get my phone or something from downstairs. And when I came back up, they were waiting for me. And the woman like suplexed me on the concrete outside. <laughs> yeah, like really bad. Uh, it was awful. An awful night. Um, so yeah. What was that? What was that club in Southampton that you used to talk about in some our time down here songs? Um, not Cube. Unit. Unit. Club, yeah. I got kicked out of Unit once for da- dancing on one of those really. Sm- they were really like small tables, and I was like dancing on one, having a great time, and they just booted me out. <laughs> I, was, like, I, I feel away. like I was there that night for some reason. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a feeling I was with you actually. <laughs> uh, no, there's a photo. There's a photo from uh, that night of me and you dancing. Man, probably that, taking like, back Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that club was sick. That that unit club was so cool. I used to really enjoy going there, um, like because Ricky had that little bar in the middle on the middle floor with a smoking area. Yeah, and, I remember, yeah. Uh, and uh, because Ricky was running the bar, he just give you free drinks, and it was just amazing. He was just, it was just so sick, and everyone would just go there, and he just put on, I don't know, whatever was out at the time, like uh, punk rock records, and you just get drunk with your friends. Super, super cool. When I was thinking earlier on about what stories to tell you for this. I couldn't really put the time frame together very easily, but this like the HMV would have been like it would have been that would have been our time down here. That's when we when I'm doing the, that uh, all that stuff, um, and then afterwards, I uh, we decided with our time down here that we were going to give it a go of just touring as much as we could, but that meant I couldn't really afford to pay rent um, at Ricky's house anymore. So I asked my dad if he would put some of um, some of my stuff in his garage. And I think he and and, and and you know he was like yeah you can come you know he said the thing is your age uh, you, you know you, you you've got all the, all the rest of your life just to, to to be sensible you may as well would like as, as long as you're like and you know working and stuff and, and like you can come and go as you please from mine so it was super cool and that was in Portsmouth so I so I moved all my stuff back to my dad's house and then I started working this job and this is really funny I worked at um my stepmother who my, who my dad uh, was living with. He worked at Domino's Pizza, um, but Domino's Pizza was, without a doubt, the sickest job I ever had. It was so cool. I loved working at Domino's Pizza. It was a job where I only worked there for like maybe three months, and I needed money so bad to, to be able to go back out on tour. And so I, I was just like to them, 
give me a, a, any job, any hour under the sun. Like, I, I want to do it. And it was cool. I liked, I liked kind of finding out what happened behind the scenes, you know, access all areas. That was cool. I, I enjoyed that. I don't know why. I just really enjoyed working there. So what were you doing? Make, making the... I was making the pizzas and, and cutting the pizzas. I don't drive because I'm such uh, an irresponsible piece of shit. Um, so I'd, uh, I couldn't do deliveries. So I just kind of do whatever they'd let me. And I kept saying to them, I, and, and the manager took a shine to me and she was like, oh, you should, should try and do a management, like a management course here. And I was like, no, no, I play in this band. And she was like, what does your band do? And I was like, we just play to nobody. <laughs> just play to no one and, and no one really cares. But, you know, that's what I'm doing with my life but anyway. Um, so one one day, I don't know, I, I was debating whether to tell you this story or not. Um, so one day, she calls me up and she's like, "Oh, Will, we've got some, a job um, you can do, but no one ever wants to do it." Are you, I, and I was like, "Mate, I just need some money. I'll I'll do whatever whatever is going." So she was like, "I'll oh, come by the shop." So come by the shop, and it, waiting for me in the shop is a costume uh and the costume is a giant pizza box <laughs> it's like a giant like like a domino's pizza box <laughs> yeah yeah dude no. dude well, like, it's like what we need you to do well. it's like, like it's like canvassing or something like that like, cool i can't remember what they call it they were like we're gonna take you out and we're gonna stand uh like on the way onto the motorway there's like a traffic light uh that, that, and, and everyone stops there we need you to stand inside this pizza box costume and uh, and honk this little horn so they gave me like a little bike horn <laughs> like like a little bike horn that had like a little rubber bit on the end that honked uh what? and uh so my job was to stand so i didn't want to do it mate i, re- I really didn't want to do it but but i needed the money you know and the thing is when you're doing this stuff you've got to support yourself somehow <laughs> like there's no money in music especially not back then you know like no, it, yeah, exactly. you so i was like you know what I, i'll <laughs> i'll do this so i so i put that costume on my little head poked out the top of the box, but I had to wear a Domino's cap. So I was kind of grateful that, like, if anyone saw me, they wouldn't recognize me because I was dressed as a pizza and a Domino's employee. And I took my little bike horn, like one of those old-fashioned rubber honky bike horns. Yeah. So, like, I'm standing there, and I'm honking the horn, like, really unenthusiastically. And the guy I'm with goes, he's like, well, no, no, no. You've got to shout. It's a, we're doing this promotion for the new stuffed crust pizza. I'm like, oh, okay. I, and I look down, I realise that the box I'm wearing is a stuffed crust pizza box. And he goes, you've got to shout, get yourself stuffed with the new stuffed crust. And so I sit on the side of this motorway where this guy, people hated it because I had a horn. So it was just so obnoxiously loud. And they're all waiting to get on the motorway at the end of, you know, when they finish work. And I'm honking this, this fucking horn, this shouting, get yourself stuffed with the new stuffed crust. And honest to God, the worst thing ever happened. The worst thing ever happened that day. I only did it one day. After this, I didn't do it again. While my hands, could, the pizza box was so big, Giles, I couldn't, and like, I couldn't um, grip the horn so well. And so I, and I dropped the horn. And this man, some dickhead in the car, just completely, he ran over the horn with his car. And it completely obliterated the horn. The horn is like so many pieces. And so I can't do anything. I can't bend over to pick the pieces of my broken horn up because my hands won't go together because the box is so big. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. It's dark, man. That's what people write films about. That's a scene in a Seth Rogen film, I'm sure. Mate, it's crazy. Like, it was, it was really, really low. That's but so like funny. you know i was i was playing in that and down here I was, I was trying to make my spooky goth record and that at that point in time i think i think at the time i was saving money 
to try and pace to record this album. And the Art on Down Here record was called Midnight Mass. And it was one of my favorite things that I've been involved in. Great record. Thanks, man. Um, but Neil did it. Neil, Neil did it all. But he did it for free at first because he knew we were struggling. And I wanted this kids' choir on it and stuff. And uh, so we got, I had to get Greg, Greg's nieces in to come sing. And so we did it. We're doing this ridiculous like, a record that was far too ambitious for the budget we had. Um, so I was just doing anything I could to kind of fund it. So I, did, I, I just didn't care. And also, like, um, I just don't, I just don't, like, that sort of thing. Like, I just don't, I just don't care that much. Like, I feel like if you're making something and you're excited about it, you've got to find a way to pay for it. And, and, it's, it's, it's embarrassing you know but like it's like i don't know it's kind of these are, these are the things we do to, to, to do this and often i think it's good this stuff like this like talking about it because people always ask me all the time um when we, sometimes we do these these uh these talks in university buildings jobs where they ask us to come in and talk to the music kids that are working that they're doing the, the courses there and i always feel like such a fraud in those environments because they are they're, they're there expecting to walk into a career in music and and you know if they want my advice on it they want they want my career the the path they're taking is the opposite path that i took because i was in the pizza box honking um about getting yourself stuffed with a new stuff crash <laughs> and they're learning how to use logic you know like like, <laughs> like it's it's we couldn't be more different right. so um so i think it's good that to talk about this stuff because it shows the reality of it you know but do you know what's interesting? Have you seen that um, the Lil Peep uh, documentary on Netflix? No, but I've heard some really good things about that. He wasn't really doing anything of note other than sort of, I guess, being this party guy that he was late, you know, in years to come, he was going to portray in his songs. But he was just doing this thing. And then when he found this thing, which, you know, call it rap or whatever, that was it. That's what he did. And at least that's how it's portrayed in the, in, in the documentary. Um but you, you just got to do it right. I mean, if if you want it the most, you're far more likely to get it. Yeah, right. Like that's the thing. I think with uh, with, with like with all this stuff, all of it comes down to is uh, my main motivation became about like leaving, like make, making something that I was really really proud of, and leaving that because even if no one likes it, at least you've got it. You know, like like you you kind of etched etched your kind of little part. You've done your little bit, and someone will find it, and someone will like it. And I'll never forget, um, this is one cool thing. I'll never, ever forget, after all this stuff with our time down here breaking up, and it, I was never really doing anything. I remember making, um, going to Hobbycraft at my dad's house when I was living there. Good shop. And uh, making, yeah, such a good shop. And uh, buying all the Halloween stuff, all the little plastic Halloween pumpkins. And I uh, pressed our, our little logo, the owl at the time, um, on the, the cover of some card. And I wrote a massive long letter and I stuffed it full of Halloween stuff and a CD and I sent it off to loads of labels and didn't hear from anybody back and all, all this stuff. I made, I made all this stuff. I, can't, I was constantly making stuff all the time. Um, and then when we broke up, it just felt, kind of felt like all of it was like, it, it kind of served a, a, a small um, collective of people who, who followed us and listened to the output that we made. But then Creeper went to, on tour in America for the first time and we played in Chicago. And I met... Um, I met a kid there who came up to me after the show and was really nice about the Creeper show, but then said that he'd been following us since our time down here and had been waiting for us to come over and play in that band all this time. So I was like, oh, you know what? All this time where you think that no one gives a shit like, and you're just creating, you don't know what you're doing it for. And like, there is sometimes someone out there that's just listening and, and you know, as you kind of, and, and, and you, should, you should stay motivated 
for those reasons there's you know that it, it feels a little bit hopeless sometimes doing this and it certainly has um for a lot of my life like i've you know been touring now since i was uh what i don't know like 17 18 and and now i'm 32 uh it's, it's been a, a big chunk of my life you know uh that i've been doing this uh so yeah like i think i think it's important to say motivated and remember those moments you know totally i feel like that loops around to um you know punk rock as a, as a as a broader idea of doing things yourself doing doing things yourself and feeling you know doing the way that comes naturally to you as as opposed to doing something for someone else in the way that if you just busy yourself with doing something that keeps you happy uh you know for me it's this podcast for you it's creeper for someone else it it, it could be stitching um you know, it, it, it goes back to that one thing that just makes you feel good inside. And if you just kind of like one track mind do that, then no one can ever uh, criticize you for that. You know what I mean? Because it's your thing. Right. Like that's, that, that's the thing. It, it's uh, like it, it, it's your it's your lane. And it's 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 your the, the one thing that you have that uh, is kind of unique to you. And you can kind of create and cut and, 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 and kind of uh, mold it in any sort of shape you want. And that's. There's very little in our lives that we're really in control of. I've noticed as I've got older. Um, I think that I think I, I realized that like with creeper and creative things, that's the thing where I'm in control, and that's when I'm in my happy place because I can um, manipulate and build worlds uh, and 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 create uh, something that um, offers an escape for me as well as the audience, um, and in whatever shape I, I choose. Um, it's, you know, it, the I, I really truly feel like it's a it's a true thing. The only the only one of the only real votes we have in this world is what we spend our money on and our pound, uh, and uh, and what we choose to support with that. And even though I completely, uh, you know, I, I agree with um, uh, I, I I vote in, in elections and um, well, you know, I think one of the one of the main votes we have is is where we spend our money. Um, and the and the one thing that we have complete control on is what we are creating and what we're putting out into the world and and hopefully the things that you and I have made over the years have made people happy. And I know your records have made me happy. And uh, we, we used to go, I remember going to see you so many times at that, that uh, uh, at that point in time. I also found out about the sidekicks from seeing that show. Do you remember that? Um, do you remember that show in Southampton? So that night we came to see you and the sidekicks played. I didn't know who they were. And they played that song. Is it 1940s jet fighter pilot? Is that the what it's called? Fighter jet. Um, that song like it literally just chilled me and i saw it and uh i was literally blown away by it and that was the the thing we have this song misery uh, the creeper which is like one of our singles from our last record and um i called up uh, ian and i was like we need to do a song that makes people that tries to make people feel the way that this song made me feel when i saw that and our song sounds nothing like this it's not not the same at all but that that evening was the was the nucleus for that that kind of spawned the next part of our career basically because uh misery would become such an important part of our, our, our set every 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 time we play so yeah weird <laughs> weird how it comes Dude, out. that's so cool i'm so glad you told me that because otherwise that would have just been forgotten about right <laughs> yeah like you know i don't know when else i would have told you that information i wouldn't never have shared that but yeah it was it was a weird moment i remember watching it and you know that that feeling you get when someone like when someone's playing and, and it was just uh him and the, and the guitar at, the, at first and uh, I remember like having the, the chills in your neck and, and just being like, this is just so powerful. Like I'm like being really properly moved by this. 
And at this point in my life, I've seen so many bands. I've been to so many gigs. I've been a part of so many gigs. And like, not, not, through, uh, not because you want it to, but like there is, after you go to so much of it, the magic of live music sometimes does get a little lost and it's hard to, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of hard to, to, to always get into it as much as you used to when you were younger. But this one evening, this one magic moment, I just felt something and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so powerful. Um, and, and and that's the whole aim of misery that like I went over Ian's the next week and we and we wrote that song like um, because we just loved we loved uh, that one anyway yeah that's that story <laughs> those moments those moments become those moments become eternal because I mean similar to the requiem you know requiem by um, our time down here is you know you you wrote that requiem on the back of a train ticket is it yeah the lyric? yeah and it's like I remember hearing that for the first time and being like fuck yeah you know because at the time I was getting trains to fucking here there and everywhere borrowing money here here there and everywhere to go to gigs and drink a couple of pints of cider and it was like you know the image of a train ticket and writing your requiem is such a powerful image it's funny like the uh the, i used to write like all the time i hit lyrics um on bits of paper like that i used to write them on tilver seat at one stop so in between seven customers i'd sit there and just be writing writing lyrics off and so in, in, in ricky bates always laughs at me because he used to find little tilver seats and i just scrolling on all the time around the house and he'd just be like just write all your, write all your lyrics on these back of these, uh, these till receipts everywhere. Keep finding them all around the house, you know, like get all angry. But, um, yeah, you just kind of do because these moments of inspiration, like they just are so fleeting. And if you don't grab on them to them straight there and then, you could have another period of complete radio silence in your head again. And that's the worst because how do you do it? And I, but I've always found, genuinely, like I've always found working to be. Uh, one of the, the most inspiring moments because your brain doesn't want to be doing the thing you're doing. So it starts thinking outside and, 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 and starts imagining and starts creating like almost well, mine does, you know, almost impulsively because of the monotony of what you're doing. Um, so like, like I'm very, very lucky in my life at the moment, Charles, I've worked for creeper now full time um, for, for years. Uh, and um, it's not like a, a, a massively fruitful living. I don't make a lot of money, but like, considering this, the, the jobs I've done in my life is it's okay and uh but there are, there are times where I, I like um I do you know um the, the, the kind of being able to have your body what you're doing with your body and, and uh, switch off almost and just kind of let your mind wonder when you're doing like a job like stacking shelves I do miss that because I had so many cool ideas all the time just because I was so bored of what I was doing do you know what I mean you know, like when you're in school mate when you when you you kind of gaze up out the window and suddenly you, you're imagining a completely different thing and you've got this, this idea and you can't wait to get home to go and do that thing or to, to, to draw yeah. that picture or, or whatever. No, exactly you know? that. No, exactly that. I, I think the interesting thing about that is that when you are in that thing, you know, where, where your, your brain, you know, you, you, you are completely running free with whatever you want to think about. Um, and you automatically, you, you have to go to the thing that makes you the happiest. And if that makes you stoked on something, you know, forget about if someone else is going to get stoked on the same thing. But for you, that makes you stoked. And so when you act, when you act uh, on those feelings, when you act in a way where you're surrounded by those feelings, you're going to create something that is irreplaceable. A hundred percent. I think that um, <clears throat> like, like lots, lots of this creation stuff, like there's that... Uh... David Bowie uh, once said about um, how, how he kind of magpied different things and it was kind of a collector almost. Like you, you, he would collect accents, he would collect uh, you know different uh, different nuances from different types of music and different sounds and different 
habitual ideas. I think we all do that. I think we all, we're, we're all doing that all the time. And I, I think when you have those moments of isolation or like mental isolation, when you're, when, you're, when you're working something you don't want to do, that monotony of everything, that's when you're putting those things together and you're looking at like, it's almost like, do you, you ever play like Simon the Sorcerer when you were a kid, Giles, or like Monkey Island or any of those games? So they're like computer games where you go around and you collect things and put them all in, in like a in like a pouch, whatever you've got, I don't know, in the game. And uh, then like to solve the puzzles, often you have to kind of combine the, the, this, this shit you've got, you know, like, oh, you've got this wooden stick and oh, there's a wheel here. You put that together, you've made, a, you know, a winch or something. I don't know, <laughs> like, you, you do that. But I feel like you do that mentally with your ideas when you're... Uh, when you're in um, those points in time where you've got nothing else to do apart from sit and think, you're kind of assessing uh, your kind of bag of tools that you've that have excited you, that you've collected, and putting them together. How many times have you been writing a song, dude, where you've got like, you know, maybe you've written a really cool riff, uh, or like you've got, but you've got a great tagline, you've got this amazing like resolution to the chorus, or and and then out of nowhere, you, you can't, you, you haven't had anything for ages, but you find the other half of that chorus and it fits together so perfectly. And you go, thank God, like, where's that come from? That, thank God that that's solved this problem, you know? Like, uh, yeah. so yeah. I think you need those moments, like when you're working, uh, where you can just chill out to be creative like that. Was there ever a moment or was there a period of time that you were like freaking out about life in terms of work? Like, were you, were you ever like really worried that the band wouldn't be able to make it, you know, sustainable for yourself? Yeah, like uh, I, I mean, it's like that all the time, really. Like it's even now, like like, like there, were, there were times where like I'm I'm very comfortable, like like comfortable enough, you know. But like, there, and there were times where like I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm a self-employed person, so it's like it's it, 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 that never goes away. And I think if you work in the creative um, industry and you're not working for a company, you're self-employed, you always have those anxieties. But there was it was much worse when I was younger. That was it was terrible at some points. I'll tell you this was really interesting. Um, I'm going to tell you about love film in a second. I promise you that's, that is an absolutely crazy, crazy time <laughs> in my life. But uh, the, uh, the, like, the last job that I did before I did Creeper, I worked for a company called LSL. And I can't even remember what that stands for. That's, <laughs> that's how boring it was. But we, we worked for, um, we, we kind of worked as an overflow center for, um, for a call. If you were calling up your move or one of those estate agents uh, or like uh, you, you and, and no one in the, the office picked up you come through to me and i would pretend that i was in the office <laughs> but like you've called so you've called like the dumb freeze office or something yeah. and you're expecting a certain accent and you've got me going your move sales and lettings we'll speaking how can i help you you know you, you know it's not there and i'm having to lie to you i've got like, i've got like a digital version of their calendars and they're, they're, they're stuff on my screen yeah. and i'm having to pretend it's so ridiculous anyway m- me and dan and ian very very frequently in my life by the way just before i go on um there's been a massive pattern of one of us one of the weird gang of weird wes anderson characters that exist in my life one of us gets a job and that's almost like then then they hold the door open and the rest of us just run in and get the job as well (laughs) that's happened so so many times um it's kind of weird ramshackle of of, um complete of complete weirdos and uh kind of underworld people that um, I, I spend all my time with. Um, we just, just constantly, and so at this point in time, me, Dan, and Ian are all working for this call, this call center doing this job. Anyway, um, Ian has known that. Ian's now left the job. Ian, Ian hated it, and, and, and uh, Ian, Ian left. But Dan and me are, are left there, I think, um, at this point. Anyway, this is what happens. 
they um that staff staff keep getting fired and then never getting replaced and so we're and we're at like a, a christmas do or something and uh the the, the, the guy the, the owner of the company said oh is there any anyone got any questions and i put my hand up and i was like I was like, mate, I don't want to ask in front of everybody, but are you laying everybody off because we're all going to be made redundant? And anyway, no, no, no. No one's getting made redundant. Like, don't worry. And then literally the next week, they, they like X-Factor style, they separate us into two groups. And they made half of us redundant. I was, like, it was all based on our performance and stuff. And I was only just in the group that got made redundant. So I was like, oh, fuck off. But it had become harder and harder and harder to do that job because Creeper at the time uh, was was uh, starting to do to, to get a lot, a lot of opportunity. We started touring all the time. We thought we were touring with Bayside. It was around all the time while that was cool, going on. Yeah, awesome. We toured a funeral for a friend. We, did, we, did all, we got all these amazing opportunities by people who were starting to believe in us. Yeah. And I remember Claire, who was my supervisor, who was a lovely woman, but she had like a really rough, gruff voice, a small little woman, but a very strong little woman. And she would just, she's like, well, I can't keep giving you all this time off. And, and, and I was like, I don't know what to say, Claire. Like, uh, I, I, I need to do this touring. And she was like, I, I, I was, she was getting unpaid leave. Anyway, so they got me redundant. And they offered me a three grand um, redundancy package. Because I've been there like three years or something. And I, was like, and I was like, that is sick. Yes, give me that. Yeah. Okay. And, I'm, and I leave. And on the, on, the, on the way back home, I call Ricky. And I'm like, mate. I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know when this package is going to come through, this money. But also, I don't know what about, I'm going to do about rent. And he's like, don't worry, come back, we'll work it out. On the same walk back from the call centre to my house, I got a call up from the manager of Creeper at the time. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, we've just signed the deal with Roadrunner. That happened on the way back. Wow. So everything just happened on the same day within like an hour. Fuck yeah. and, and then, um, yeah, since then, since then I haven't done a job since. And so like, I was super lucky, but like, and it was chaos. And Giles, there's another funny part of this story as well. Um, so, like, that all worked up. It synced up perfectly. We got our record advance and stuff. We started – it wasn't a lot of money, but, like, it started all – with the three grand, that did me three months because you can get by on a grand easily. Um, so, like, I was doing all this stuff. And then um, I got called, called up from the manager of the, the, the company to come back in, like, the next day. Came back in, and they said, um, we've made an error. And you and you don't have to get made redundant, and I, like it took me just a bit. Of a and I just so I just had my head in my hands, and I was like, "Oh God, I know I should be happy about this, mate, but that's actually really, really, really inconvenient now." And so he said, "I've never told anyone this before, and I shouldn't be telling you now." He said to me, "Oh," and and he was really cool because he like the guy who ran this call center was like involved in in like nineties garage music, so he he's always quite nice to me because he knew I was getting involved in music and stuff. And he goes to me, he goes, he goes, he goes uh, Will, what if we just said that this conversation never happened? <laughs> so, so I said, that would be really handy. And then he goes, all right, just get up and leave. And I got up and left and they paid me the three grand. They looked after oh me and, and got paid three grand and, and got my record advance. And Amazing. I got a credit card too, which was a complete disaster. But like, other than that, everything was fine, you know? Like, so yeah, like the, it's been really difficult sometimes because you're like, how is this going to work out? But it just has to. And as long as you go at things like a pure, with a pure intention, you're not and you're not a dickhead, and you're just gentle with people and, and patient, and you work hard, people don't care. They, they want to help, you know. That's not so bad. I love that, Will. That's amazing. You're going to look back on that so fondly in in future times. It's so funny. Like everything. Like I just laugh all the time at, at everything that's happened. 
it's so silly because I mean, how do you do this stuff? Like, you know, I know you're going to ask about the love film job, and which is the it, it is the worst one I've done. Before we go there, I mean, I mean, you know, that happening with with the Roadrunner thing happening and the, and the job. Did did you ever let that get to you? Did you ever let the pressure get to you in terms of the creative output of the band? I mean, um, no, I think like there was. I remember doing the first Creeper record, the first EP, and we released it ourselves, and we and we ran a merch store. And I couldn't believe how much attention it was getting because Arsene down here couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything. And uh, our current manager, uh, Ian Dickinson, was at our very first show um, and he was working for Roadrunner at the time. Um, and I didn't know he worked for Roadrunner. He like he just came and said hello after the show and he was wearing a Danzig cap. And I was like, oh, me and you are going to be friends. You know, we like all the same stuff. And so anyway, yeah. so everything happened so quickly. Yeah. So I do do remember feeling like oh um like this is um uh it's quite a lot of pressure to kind of follow something up that people are, that's gone well because all I really know is how to follow up something that's gone terribly <laughs> so like I I, didn't, I hadn't really had any any kind of success and I didn't want to um compromise what we were doing but I made a decision really early on with Creeper that I was just going to say yes to everything I was like I've spent a long time worrying about what is selling out and what's because because i'm you know you know exactly what that's that scene is like um and i was very much that sort of way and i was like i've spent a long time fretting about these things and so i'm just gonna do the do the say yes to absolutely every opportunity that comes and it meant i did some really silly stuff when i first started because it was like a yes man scenario you know um i was like do you want to do a feature where your hands are twigs uh, for, for, you know, like for a Halloween sp- uh, feature. And it's like the worst <laughs> picture of me that exists. And no one ever sees it because it was a Kerrang poster from ages ago. And even as they shot it, like even as Paul Harry shot the photo, um, who's a lovely man, a, really, a friend of mine as well. I've made friends with him over the years. He's like the guy that's shot all the original Slipknot photos. He's outside with me in a, in a car park. And like I'm laying in a car park. And I've got all these twigs up my sleeves of his hoodie. And he's laying on the car park floor with his camera. And he goes, Will, can you just look up at me and give it like a bit of a grrr? Oh, that's the noise he makes. And I, I, so I said, okay, I'm, I'm trying to be a team player. The band is laughing at me from this side. I can see them inside through the window. They're all laughing at me. And so I got up and, and I kind of rustled my little, my little stick fingers at him and gone grrr. And I've stopped and I've put my head down and I've looked up at him and I've gone, I'm Paul. I said, what are we doing, mate? And he just looked at me and said, we're just trying to make a living, mate. Let's just go. <laughs> I just completely breezed over it. Just trying to make a living. Let's keep going. Uh, so, um... Yeah. But, but I mean, that must have happened a few times because, you know, what, 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 what Creep is doing, the, the imagery is pretty out there sometimes. So, you know, you're going to make, you're going to make some weird choices along the way. I mean, uh, that's the thing. Like, I just wanted to be open and, and like, not, I felt like I spent quite a lot of my life being like anxious and closed off to ideas because it was scary and stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I wonder what happens mm. to my world if I just start opening myself up, myself up to things and stop worrying about that stuff. And what ended up happening to me when I started doing that was I got a lot more opportunities and some of them I messed up and some of them I, I, um, I, I did okay at. And I think that like, I don't know, it, 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 it is a really good way of thinking. When you start thinking more positively, more positive things do come. And um, I do think that is true. And I think that, like, of all the silliness and all, like, all, all, the, all the, the nonsense that's happened um, over the over the time, um, 
it, uh, it, like the, 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 I think there's been some rare pieces of magic that I wouldn't have got to if I, I, I didn't try and we didn't do things. And, and some of the stuff I'm so proud of, um, it, it, it's just uh, like, like it, it, you know, there, there's, there's certain things you look back and you think, I wish I did that a little differently. And, um, or, you know, there's like silly little things. It's, it's the same with music. That the, All that happened really, mate, is I started thinking about the image of the band and what we're doing with the, the theatre of it all in the same way I think about song. And do you know what I mean? You probably absolutely know what I mean when I say to you, like, you listen back to an old record and you, more than anyone else in the world, know everything that's wrong with that record. You know? You could tell everybody, like every little level that you didn't get quite right when you were doing it, like everything you got a little wrong, you know, but no one else does. It's always the cohesiveness for me. I'm like, why do those lyrics dot around all over the place? Do you know what I mean? Where you like, I always look back at lyrics and think like, that, that's a bad, there, there's no real cohesion to the story. You know what I mean? But then to other people, it's a different, it's a different thing. So it's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? I think uh, like, that is absolutely true. Can I ask you a question? We, I was telling uh, Charlotte about this the other day. Do you, as a like a, as a lyricist, do you find yourself having little motifs that are almost accidental? Like uh, I, you know, I, I, like for example, I know that like uh, people say this all the time. I seem to um, constantly mention holding hands in songs, and like uh, I'll use a month and a color. There'll be like all like there are these there are these these things that people um, constantly tell me that I do. What are yours? Tell me what yours are the word all right i got the word all right and want you around comes up a lot and no way. um oh yeah all the time I, I like do you know what it comes from though and i and, and i honestly i think this probably happened i started writing songs when i was 16 or 17 when i learned that was the same time i learned to play guitar but i, I i've just given myself it's kind of annoying because i want to get out of it and as i get older i do want to learn to get out of it and I, I do want to start writing some folky songs at some point because I just kind of want to train myself out of this because when, when I'm just writing something, I'm getting a melody and I'm basically just singing gibberish. The next level of the gibberish is all right or want you around or I don't know. You, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, there are quite a lot of bands that say sorry, for example. And like, it, it's kind of funny because in the context of it all, you, you'll never notice it, but it's only it's you or people who really know the band notice it you know it's bizarre isn't it my girlfriend was like and i know her because of cynics she's like a cynics fan it's fucking awesome uh she's probably you know like she she has all the records before we met and everything but even now writing songs she'll be like you always say that one thing (laughs) i'm like fuck (laughs) need to stop doing it (laughs) it's so it's so difficult to stop once you've done it like and and, you know i i do all the time i'm like if i've got like a, a line to fill i'm always trying to describe the mood in a color, so you know there will always be uh, the, the the names of colors, and then then, then the month it happened, and like just every single song. And, and once you ever think it, you're like, how do I stop doing this? But in a way, you just like exactly described to me what what is you know one of the appeals of Creeper because you you put a month on it, do you know what I mean? You put a color towards it, you put in some kind of touching of skin, like immediately those are three elements that everyone can relate with. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? You, I suppose, like, when you're doing it, you just don't, you just don't think. Like, I love that. Like, like on your first record, on that first record, uh, Morhen, that song, like, is, I don't know, that that always it feels so. Uh, I feel such a even the first time I heard it, it feels so nostalgic hearing that. In terms of like, it send, it makes you think about uh, 
past relationships and uh, like instantly but it probably means a completely different thing to you I don't, i'm not quite sure what it means to you i don't know what it means to me <laughs> <laughs> these are the funny these are the funny things sometimes you can just be writing some kind of you know like lyrics and words evolve over time don't they you know like like taking the long walk home which is a lyric it's yeah. like the refrain of that song it's like that can, that could kind of mean anything really yeah i mean obviously it's taking the long way home but also like People like everyone's walked home, yeah, but, it, but it's, we take the long route home because we don't want this to end, you know. And it's like, uh, is it a sad lyric? Is it a happy lyric? It's, it's so cool because you can. So everybody who listens to that, it's always anything. Yeah, but that's what's amazing about that song, I think, because it it can mean nice so Thanks, much to, to so many different people. Um, we listened to that song so many times. Uh, like you know those when you're touring Europe and you're like in a van. And you're like driving through somewhere. It's long drives, nighttime drives. Yeah. I always remember when we almost killed Gary when we were out there. Like Gary was sleeping on his bunk in a sleeping bag, and me and Greg were up listening to REM. Uh, and we had to we had to, we had to break really hard. And, and and Gary flew off the bunk in, in that one of those sleeping bags and almost decapitated himself on the parcel shelf above us. <laughs> but anyway, when we were on those drives, we used to listen to, to, to that would come on like on one of our playlists all the time. And I just remember thinking it was such a brilliant nice. song because it can be interpreted as a really happy song or a really sad song or like a really romantic song or like a really like heartbroken. It's, it can be so many different things to different people. And I think that's the, that's the magic of it. Of that one. I think it's the, 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 the lyrics in that song. Are, it's great, man. It's a really good song. Thanks, man. I, th- I think that's where I've like, I've lost the cynics magic as of recently. I'm trying to find what the next magic is because I think basically everything I wrote songs about within the last decade were all set inside this world of coming out of my mum's house, walking down the road, meeting my friends at the train station, going to the gig, and then coming back, and then walking back down, a, you know, back home to my mum's house yeah. at nighttime. Whereas, you know, that's not that's not my life anymore. I got to I got to find something new. It's hard, man. Like that stuff is hard because it, it changes completely. You know, I've just made a record uh, where I made it under the, the toughest constraints I've ever made anything under. And I was in a different country, and um, it was completely opposite. And so the record, as a byproduct, sounds nothing like our last record either. So it's so weird to try and to try and work out who you are. Right, right. Where was I mean? Now that you've gone through it and the album's basically ready to go, how looking back on the last sort of couple of years what's the journey been like? I mean, what kind of, where did you start? What, what kind of mood were you in when you started? Uh, it was a really weird time. Um, we were, we, me and Ian had decided that we wanted to do an American record because our, our record before this one was very much a product of Southampton, but it was about wanting to make where we were from seem more um, fantastical and exciting um, than it was, which is a very gray place. You know, Southampton, yeah. you know, um, so uh, in the meantime, it, it, that record had allowed us to tour America quite extensively over and over again to meet our heroes, to uh, to be on, you know, like to be in, a, uh, like, like in, in, in terms of our American um, career, we were there probably, we toured them probably more than we toured the UK now. Um, so we wanted to, to kind of make a record that showed where we'd been. Um, the last one showed where we came from and um, the next one wanted to show where we came since. So me and Ian started going to... Uh, um, right. Los Angeles quite a lot to to meet different producers and things. I met um, Mark Hoppus. So I wrote some songs with Mark Hoppus and with uh, Travis Barker and John Feldman and lots of different people. I was doing a lot of different things. Uh, Me and Ian wrote songs with uh, with a lot of different people to see what what the vibe was, what we wanted to do. 
and nothing really stuck. And um, until we met this one guy called uh, Zandy Barry, um, which is a name you won't recognize from uh, kind of alternative music. He's uh, he's been very successful in his life uh, working on kind of uh, films, film soundtracks, and um, and uh, incredible arranger of. Um, Kind of orchestral parts and things. Just, just to hold you up for a second, just a moment there. It, 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 were you sort of speaking to these people because you and Ian were just basically like, "Let's see what happens," or was it because you were looking, like, actively looking for a collaborator? We were, uh, we were looking for a producer, um, and I'd met John Feldman on on uh, on the Warp Tour, and I really liked him. And uh, he made a record by a band called Foxy, Foxy Shazam that I really like, and. Uh, so we met him, and then we then there was a, a a few different people in the mix. And so while we were over there, we met loads of different people, and um, then it was like, how about uh, we try and do some songs? And and we were like, okay, like just trying to in the spirit of saying like yes to um to everything. Uh, yeah, and you're like, well, how many times in my life am I going to have an opportunity to uh, say my, sit with my best friend and and write a song um, with Mark Coppers? That's cool, isn't it? Um, so um, so it was really cool. That was really fun, but like. We're not like I think sometimes um, you know it's difficult because I'm not really used to that dynamic and tried that and um, and it was like we kind of uh, it, like it, it, I I would definitely write some some songs with people whoever really like I'll sit down and write songs with anyone and, and I do I do it quite a lot anyway um, so I was doing a bunch of different writing trying to put a bunch of different things out and I was kind of unsure as to what I wanted to do with the uh, the sound of the record. Um, and Creeper's been like uh, it, it gives us the ability we have um, like such uh, with Hannah um, and her dynamic she's such an incredible musician um, there's so much, so much we can do with the sound and so we, we try to mix it up uh, uh, you know as, as much as we can and, um, and to, to push the sound in different directions and stuff so it feels like I, I knew I wanted to make a record that was different um, so did you have a theme in mind? I had a, I had a concept that I wrote um, long before we we we'd got to, to, to writing the music. Um, I'd, I'd written um, with me and Miles had uh, put together this whole story about um, a small American town. We wanted to make a, a, like a, a record that kind of um, reflected what it was like being an, uh, an English person in a place that was unfamiliar and kind of being like, because we were in America all the time and, um, and it was just, it, you know, so it, it's kind of uh, reflected those, those feelings of kind of, um, being a, feeling a little bit uh, like someone who's been picked up and put into a different world almost. Um, so then we obviously embellished those themes massively and made it into a, this elaborate tale about um, uh, uh, that, that. I've been reading that book, K-Pax. Have you ever read that book before? Um, it was made... No, never, I haven't heard of it. It was uh, made into a, a, a film, a feature film, um, <laughs> with, uh, with Kevin Spacey, um, which is, you know, he, he's not okay. Um, but... but uh, yeah. yeah, and the film's awful. He's, can- he's cancelled. Yeah, that film's really bad anyway. Um, but like, it was a, about this um, this man who would um, claim to be from another planet, and they'd taken him to um, to a psychiatric hospital, and it was kind of is he, isn't he sort of situation. And so I was riffing on lots of those ideas. And um, so we had this elaborate narrative um, that I'd written, and it had loads of... I went to, to a Catholic primary school, and uh, for a couple of years, a Catholic secondary school. So like um, a lot of religious stuff, um, I, I managed to fuse into it as well. We got kind of this. Uh, so so I was I was doing all this stuff, and I'm always kind of writing little stories and things anyway. And um, yeah, so that was what I, I came out to write. And so 
but didn't didn't really start kind of talking about it until I met that producer, the guy who produced that record, um, Zandy, and he asked about it, and um, so I was like, "Sit down." So there's this boy who was found <laughs> telling him this whole story, and it it really right. sparked his imagination, and and yeah, the, the, me, Ian, and uh, and Zandy ended up really uh, being really great, um, really great working relationships. So that's kind of how that all came about. Amazing. And did you end up recording all of it over there? No, it was, uh, we, we, we recorded most of it. Uh, the, the, the band played, uh, recorded their parts in uh, London. Um, and uh, like, so, so we did uh, like a, I did a bunch of writing out there and uh, with, with Ian and a bunch of recording there too. Like, I, I tracked most of the vocal on um, LA. Um, and uh, Hannah came and did piano out in LA. So there was this, this, um, and, and, and some some bits. Oh, she did some some piano in, in London too. It's kind of hard to remember to be honest. It was quite a, it was a, quite a long process. So I was very lucky that um, you know, I told you earlier on about making that Arsenal and Here record on an absolute shoestring budget. And we wanted, when we wanted a choir of kids in, we had to kind of assemble Greg's niece and her friends to come in. And then suddenly, I found myself in a position where I was very lucky to have um, a budget for something where I could go out and and uh, do something a, a little bit of a bigger scale. And we've had some amazing, like there was an orchestra in some of the songs and things, which is really, really fun for me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. It's been like a this elaborate process of um, America and England coming together. <laughs> it, it feels like you've adapted very well to that. Like, you've, it, it seems to me like you've taken it in your stride. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's just, I, I just have lots of fun with it. Like, these days, I'm, I'm just... I'm always focused on like, is it a good song? Is it like, like I, I don't want to write a song for the sake of uh, just throwing something out there. Um, so am I doing something that like uh, inspires me? And um, and so like at this point, I've, I've done quite a lot of punk rock in my life, and so I wanted to try and do something that was uh, was, it, was it was a stretch for me. And um, it's like trying to trying to keep things exciting and trying to do things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, and seeing what garners results, you know. And sometimes uh, during the course of this, when we first started, we did like some kind of '80s kind of dance stuff for a while, which is really fun. And I really like those songs, but it wasn't right for Creeper. And so it's kind of trial and error, you know. Have Have you been listening to to different stuff, stuff that you maybe wouldn't usually? Um, what have I been listening to? Uh, I, I no, like, like I think like uh, a lot of this record has been has been based on records that uh, I, I kind of grew up with, my parents' records and things. Um, so. We've, we've been like it was, it was t-rex is a big influence and a lot of the kind of the swag on it there was like 90s brit what a, what a oh, i know man it's incredible uh there's this story about that so we just put out cyanide where like i was in a, like a bit of a uh a creative um a creative hole at the time it was difficult because ian uh, got quite unwell and um so wasn't able to to, to travel for a little while um so uh like but I, I was trying to keep the record to kind of together and um so I was I was out there like trying to trying to write and, and do things, but I couldn't really do it. You, you know what you were saying about great cynics, um, how you reached the point where you just couldn't really do it. You know, um, I was kind of at that point for a minute, and everything I, we, we started working on, I just didn't really like that much. And then one day I was, I was frustrated, and I'm having breakfast in this. Um, my manager is out there as well. It was at a really uh, critical moment where um, I didn't quite know what was going to happen with with everything. Um, and so he was out there as well, and we went for breakfast somewhere. And I was just eating um, in this diner um, on the way to the studio in the morning. And uh, T Rex came out on over the over the speakers in this diner, 
and I just went, "This is what Creeper is. Creeper is a is a is a glam rock band. You know, like it, like it, 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 you know, it doesn't matter what glam rock is. It, it, it have a particular style. You know, there's so many such variants in that music, like Mott Hoople and stuff. And but I was like, it's a it's just it's a theatrical rock band that like and and he, and he he was like my manager said to me, well go and do that like go and do that and I was like you know what I'm gonna fucking do that <laughs> so, so I went in that day and I was like it's so cool that you say Mott the Hoople because all that stuff inspired Oasis and and like that stuff has such a crazy range of influences that's a really good point and that's really relevant too to this story because um. Britpop was a big part of my life when I was growing up. And a lot of the reasons I realized that I liked Britpop so much was that it, it drew from that 70s kind of um, rock music. Um, like bands like Suede, who I love, you can, you can, hear, you can hear all that, all those influences in, in, in that music. And so then I started, uh, we, we did start using some of that. Like there's that song we have, this song Annabelle, which is, um, I was like, I want to use uh, that beat from... Um, Poem, the suede song trash let's let's try and do a little bit like that and then we'll, and then we'll take it off in a different direction you know but like, we'll, we'll start with that so like it was suddenly we're taking these kind of um quite british influences and um putting them threading them through like an american kind of filter and uh because we, we were making them in america and we were with this, uh, this uh, american producer who was this hollywood producer uh and adding this kind of sheen to things that we would never normally have and so we made this kind of weird uh hybrid of things and but i love i love all that stuff it, it's uh like it's, it's roxy music it's uh it's you know the, the tongue is in the cheek all the time when you're when you're doing that stuff and that was the day uh that we wrote that cyanide song um and it just came really quickly really easily and that was the song that kind of changed uh the, the direction of the record and so yeah it's weird how these things come isn't it it's so often how when things get really complicated and you think you can't go on how you know, with, with the flip of a page, you know, the flip of a moment, you realize it's all so simple because all it is about is making music that makes you feel good and makes you kind of want to dance. Yeah, exactly that. And, and, and the thing is, you know, actually, this is quite relevant to this conversation too. I always remember what Mark Pavey said to me once, um, the singer of The Steel. Um, he like, I, I, we were on tour with them and, and we were doing something with uh, Artemon here. It was when we were just starting to experiment a bit more. And he said to me, um, well, uh, the thing is, if you, if you, he said, I always find if you're writing a song that, uh, and it doesn't work the first for, the, for, for two hours, you should just, you should scrap it and just move on to something else. And, and like, it, like he said that to me and, I, and at the time I was like, wow, like, cause I always felt you just kind of labor over it, labor. Over it. Well, I realized you overcomplicate things so much. Like if, if, if it should flow, it should be easy. Some, some people write in, in the opposite way, but. I've, I've always felt that was really good advice from him. Um, and I've always, I always think about that because as soon as, like, like if you if it's exciting and you're in the moment with it, then you end up with something cool. And uh, if you're overcomplicating it and the song's not writing itself, it's not coming to you, you're forcing it. You end up with something a little bit, yeah, a little bit tricky to listen to at, at, for, for anyone else as well, you know? Right. Because if you experience it the first time when you're playing it, that's like you're hearing it for the first time. So if you labor over it, then you've listened to it for 500 times. If it's only after like the thousandth time that you've heard it whilst you're playing it, that's when it clicks. No one else is going to listen to a song a, hundred, a thousand times before they like it. <laughs> no one's going to give it that yeah. time. You, you Like something, need, you know, there has to be, you know, not all the song because, you know, you need to have some Easter eggs in there for later. But I think, you know, some part of a song has to be instant for it to be a classic. 
Yeah. If I, you want to write classics, then some something has to be instant. Yeah, I think like that, and that's the fun of like what we do with this band is that like it's not a, we're not a band of musos. This is not like it's not um, uh, kind of incredibly complicated music. Um, and if you make the, the 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 writing of that music complicated, you you're kind of messing it up straight away. And I always feel like it's important to remember we always talk about this serving the song like uh what does does what i'm adding to this serve the song am i coming at this from a place of, of like an ego where it's like i have to be singing through the entire thing like what what am i doing with this part then you know i think sometimes some of the music that i'm not so fond of is stuff where there's like too much going on this like you know the guitar is overplaying and and sometimes sometimes i think it's right just to play bar chords or like uh, just to just to play power chords you know like just like easy stuff like because it not you know like you mentioned oasis just now some of the biggest anthems you know of our lifetime um and those are, are are simple songs they are simple songs uh but they are incredibly well written um and there's a there's a magic in getting yeah. that, that simplicity right i think well it's something sam russo who's just released a record one thing he said to me about a decade ago he was like dude the best songs have three or four chords and i'm like yeah that's so true it's so true man all like think about all those amazing alpine trio songs they're all the same chords and it's incredible it's so good like it's like it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't have to be like a puzzle and when you make it into that that's when you fuck things up i think you know like i think you get bogged down in it and i've definitely been guilty of that um, in the past it's just um but just keeping that in mind, I think, is a massive aid to songwriting. This is why we need friends who are into the same things as us. Just to yeah. be like, no, nah, I just like it. For what it, It's like, because I like it for what it is. Not because I think you're playing so good or hard or you're singing so crazy. It's because of just simply what it is. You know? How does it make you feel, you know, like like uh, when, you, when you're watching it, like when you're, you're seeing a band, like, uh, like that's the thing, you know? I, ne- I never really responded very well when I was younger to... to um, Maybe it's because of my own um, inability, but like I never really responded very well to really overly complicated music. Anyway, I just it just didn't hit me in the same way. It never really never that's not wasn't never for me, and that's not why I like music. I didn't want to see a, a clinic on how to play guitar. Um, I wanted to hear something that like made me feel something, you know. Well, let's start wrapping this up with the uh, with the love film story. Okay, so. So love film. Also, by the way, can I just can I can I say I don't want to wrap it up. This has been an awesome conversation, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like we'll talk forever. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. Um, so um, after I did the um, there is there's, there's a little segue into this as well, which is funny. Um, so like after I did the job at Domino's Pizza, I had to go on tour again. So I lost my job at Domino's Pizza, of course. Um, and uh, but I've always thought, what could have been? I could have been that manager. You know, could have could have been that Domino's Pizza manager. Um, but like I, I mean like it would have been a sick life I love working for the most pizza um, but anyway um, <laughs> it's weird isn't it I don't know why um, I just loved it it was so That's sick not, I'm, not, I'm not laughing I'm not laughing out of uh, detriment to people who are working with Domino's it's just you know Will Gould the two lives you know <laughs> I mean I, I just loved it I had so much fun there like uh, so I didn't want to leave but like I I was doing the the band thing and I wanted to to to, to be creative and stuff and and so it wasn't really fulfilling me enough. Well, anyway, then um, basically what happened was we broke our time down here up um, 
but, but to, to, to like and I, I was like well I'm gonna sort my life out now I need to kind of do it so I, I went to try and get a real job you know but in my head I think a real job in my head just just meant like I kept thinking what a real job was and I was just thinking I'll probably probably wear a suit and just go to a desk and very much feel like a child even though I'm absolutely an adult um it, uh, so, so at the time I was just like that's what a job is so I went for a job at this insurance company um that like I didn't know what I was doing obviously and so um, I got an interview and I had to walk there because I didn't have a car. But like the nearest train station was this, uh, uh, was this Cosham in, in, in Portsmouth, um, near where my dad's from. And um, so I got the train to Cosham, but then I had to walk, I had this suit that was kind of hodgepodge together from things I found in the house. Some of it was my dad's bits, you know, like, like so like I'm wearing yeah. this suit and, yeah. I, and I'm have to walk across a field to get to this building. Um, but as I walked there, my shoes just got covered in mud as I'm walking there. So I look, I look scruffy before I even oh, got there. Yeah. Anyway, I sat down. I'd done this interview. They like, like, I'm chatting to these two people, and they're like, "Oh, you know, um, so can you give me some experience on this and this and this, all these different things?" Chatting about it, it's all going pretty well. And at the end, they were like, "Well, Mr. Gould, um, it's nice to meet you." And I stood up and shook their hands, and and then, um, and uh, they were like, "We've got a couple more applicants." And because they said that, I don't know why I did this, but I went, I went, "Oh, I've got a couple more interviews as well," and they went. And that, that's obviously such a weird bragging <laughs> thing to say, like to somebody who's doing an interview. Yeah. Like, like it sounds like I'm showing off, yeah. even though I did not have any other interviews. I had no other interviews. There were no prospects on the table other than this insurance job. And they went, "Oh, where are you after you interviewing?" And I looked down, and you know, like when you have like your your brain dead, you can't think of anything at all. And I just looked at the floor. I felt like I was looking at the floor for like it felt like an hour. I looked at the floor, and I just went, um phones for you and then it was like the most obvious lie you could possibly give and, they, and also i'd chosen phones for you and i was going for a job at this really posh insurance company and then so the woman went all oh, right and i was like oh i have fucked this i have fucked it. i've tried so hard to, to disguise the fact that i am this piece of shit punk kid uh, like I, I dressed all up, I'm covered in mud, and I've uh, told this massive lie that they know is a lie, and it's not even a good lie, you know. Like, and so then they never, even, they never even phoned me back. They never even phoned me back uh, to tell me I didn't have the job. I just never heard from them ever again. Uh, even now, sometimes when I'm going to my dad's house, I go past that building and I shudder thinking about it. Anyway, so what I ended up doing? I can't look at it. it yeah, no. like uh, I ended up doing was Dan got a job working for love film and of course me and ian miles got jobs at love film as well <laughs> yeah we, we we scuttled in but like um people some people i don't know who, who um who your, your demographic is for this job but people might not remember this some younger people uh there used to be a service um where you could um sign up to it and get sent rental dvds in the post and so um when people you, would watch dvds yeah, before Netflix became a streaming platform, um, there was uh, Love Film, which was you could you could you could sign up a subscription and they would send you a DVD in the post and you'd watch it and you'd send it back and you could pick another one or whatever. Dan got a job doing that and it was selling like the job was it was such a ridiculous job it was so awful, um, but like uh, you, you basically stood in the in, in shopping centres and. Um, try to sell this service to people and get them to give them your credit card details in the shopping center when they've just been walking around doing nothing. And then you would tell them about this service. They would, you would say there's a special offer on 
it's three months for the price of uh, 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 you get two months free that's what you'd say you wouldn't say three months at the price of one because that sounds like there's another they're going to pay you have to be really careful about your wording and stuff like and then people would sign up for this service to uh, to, to to get love films so that's your job but you had to do like five of them a day minimum every day so you'd stop people in the street i remember being in the swan center doing it once um in in eastleigh and uh, th- that day in the Swan Centre, you don't realise how bizarre these shopping centres are until you spend all day, every day in them. Oh, man, it's just a bizarre, like, little network of people, the security, the people in the shops. Everyone knows each other. It's all, like, it's really odd. And you're that, that annoying dick who's in the shopping centre stopping everybody. So they kind of know you. Anyway, this day in the, in the Swan Centre, they, they, they opened up the, the playlist over the shopping centre with Maggie May, you know? Wake up, Maggie, I think I've got something to say to you, however. Anyway, me and Dan were selling it in, in, in the shopping centre. And then, after that song finished, it just started again. Wake up, Maggie, I think i got something to say to you. And then, after it finished, it played again. The security guard had accidentally put the CD on loop. So we listened to Maggie May all day long that, that that day. That's the sort of thing that would happen every single day. So I listened to Maggie May over, like I must have heard it maybe, like I don't know how many times, like hundreds of times that day, I heard Maggie May. And no one changed it all day long. I'm not even joking. That, that sounds like a lie, but it's true. Um, anyway, we did this job. Uh, the, 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 the rules were if you, there was like a, a blacklist. So if you got through the first week um, and you didn't hit your target, um, this is this is every single week. If you didn't hit your target one week, then you won the blacklist. And if you didn't hit it the second week, you were fired. That was the rule. So, like, so you had no job. If you didn't hit your target two weeks in a row. Not even a minimum wage. You was gone. That was you. Just you done. I worked that job for three years because it was absolutely perfect in between touring and doing it. Like you'd uh, chat to people in the in, in shopping centres and everything, and, and do all do all your thing and do all your bits. Um, the, the the training I did for the job, they sent me to a. Um, to somewhere in pool uh to a, like like a, a holiday in to do this like, a big presentation they had one of the like, you know like the the sales the sales people are like so aggressive and it's not really who i am and some you know it, uh it, like they, they were they were like well, it's, it's, it's you, you gotta close you gotta always be closing all, all this stuff they'd say yeah. and um close and the deal, was, man. yeah cl- close the deal close the deal and i was just really awkward and hated it and and they told me i was not gonna have my own um I was going to have my own uh, hotel room and it turns out I was sharing with this other guy who that evening went out and did loads of cocaine and had a threesome with two other people on the course. And then the next day I came downstairs and everyone was acting like I was a square because I didn't go out. I stayed, I stayed in the hotel room and watched this documentary about Elton John <laughs> and everyone <laughs> else was, was having sex and doing drugs. And, and anyway, it was all fucking bizarre. Anyway, so I, I did this job for a long, 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 long time where we went to different shopping centers. Um, I remember doing. I remember one time going to Reading and doing it. Um, I was sent there to train another girl and how to do this. The girl did the first day. I was there for a week there on my own in this hotel in, in Reading selling love film. And uh, this poor girl, I don't know. I, I feel so bad for everyone who worked there. Really, it was awful because um, the people who worked there were awful as well. Um, some of them was not I nice. I had, I had a friend called Luke who was cool. Um, and we just smoked weed all the time, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, but like. That this girl, this girl like quit in the first day of doing it in Reading, the first day, and then I was there for a week on my own, seeing nobody apart from people I was selling love film to every day. <laughs> it was just horrible. So, like doing that sort of stuff all the time. Then 
what happened was turns out because it like it kind of normally attracted sort of like kind of chino the chino wearing kind of laddie types who who were like a little bit like uh Jack the Lad sort of people. They weren't necessarily bad people, but they were just like horrible salespeople in in terms of like they would be like just really horrible and kind of um, just really awkward to be around. And um, they were just they were just the worst. Uh, and so basically, what happened was Watchdog did a did a series about about Love Film. So that there was like, Love Film was on Watchdog because. Um, some people in, in the company were doing awful stuff where they were like getting people's credit card details um, and not really telling them the, the full the, the deal that I just told you that amazing deal and uh, and, and not, not realizing they were being charged and being charged by these these kind of I guess sort of thieves really like that these love film people and um, and so we got exposed on Watchdog and then after being on Watchdog no one would talk to us ever. Like, literally, no one would stop anymore. Like, we couldn't stop anyone. Like, you just couldn't, you couldn't sell our films if it's the love, no money. So, um, after being there for like three years, in between doing all these band, this band stuff, they, um, they, they, they shut down our our bit, and I lost my job. Um, and anyway, me and that guy Luke were out in the nightclubs, just celebrating, kind of whatever. We just kind of lost our jobs, whatever. Um, and then like, we, we called we, we we called up the supervisor while we were pissed in the nightclub in unit. Uh, in the nightclub, and we're like, oh, his, his name is a lovely bloke. Actually. His name is Christian Tubb, and I said, oh, uh, I said, and I, I was like, oh, Tubb, can I was like, mate, give us our jobs back, and he went, all right, come back. So I got our jobs back the next day. <laughs> went straight back to work again, what? even though we couldn't sell Love Film. Uh, it was awful. It was so so bad. Um, there was a terrifying man. I forget what his name was. He used to come down from up north, and it was super aggressive. Oh, his name was Val Sacoli. Val Sacoli, his name was, and he was terrifying. This northern like guy. A yeah, he was. He's was like some sort of gangster, um, and 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 he'd be like, "Watch, watch the others. Look, look at the others." The others have been super aggressive salespeople. Meanwhile, it's just me there. Obviously, you can imagine what that was like. Um, and yeah, so like fucking did that for ages and ages and ages. Val Sacoli would constantly be kicking off. Um, it, it was a job that you had a little miniature <laughs> laptop. They gave you a little laptop that you could that you could take anywhere with you. So sometimes you'd be on tour, and um, like we were so broke all the time. And I would I take the little laptop on tour with me. And any time I was at someone's house or something, and they were like talking about films. Like, oh, so you're interested in movies? You like movies? Do you have you ever thought about a service where you can have whatever movie you like for 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 how you can keep the movie for however long you like, and as long whenever you send it back, we'll send you another one completely for free. <laughs> and then I got my laptop out. Will that is outrageous? <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? It's um, it was traveling my life. Salesman. I was a traveling salesman, but also. Um, a traveling failed musician at that time as well. So it was like a combination of all the worst parts of society in one. Um, so uh, yeah, th- th- that was that was it for a while. I tried to quit there for a while because um, I got sick of uh, sick of it all, and um, tried to move across to the other salesman sales co- company there, which was Paintball. It sold Paintball in, in, in like in, in the street. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I know the ones. You see, you see them in shopping centers. Yeah, yeah, with, with the guns as well. Um, and that was yeah, all fine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in, yeah like, like, so that was all fine. I went with this guy called Dan. He was like a quite a nice guy, but he was like a little bit intense. And he was a big, like, muscly, like, you know, he was like, he worked out all the time. And he used to pick me up from my dad's house and, and drive me um, into Portsmouth there. And one time we were driving in and he got such bad road rage on the way 
he leant out the window and threw a Mars bar at someone's car in front of us and like, like smashed this guy's window or something with his Mars bar. I was like, what? Jesus Christ, I'm working with this guy. And then there was a story about him, um, which I don't know is true or not, but um, he was picking up one of the other guys up for work. And um, this guy cut him up on the way to, to work to the shopping center. And so he, he like, uh, they stopped at the lights. He got out the car and got one of the paintball guns out and walked over to his window with a paintball gun. So then I decided to leave, try and leave the paintball place. Yeah, this is crazy. Like, honestly, has <laughs> this been... Before anything this, worse happened. I know, exactly. I was like, I need to get out of here. So then I went back to Love Film again. I said, like, the only two jobs in the world that I could do was paintball and Love Film. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I worked there for, for years and years, just doing all sorts of nonsense there. It was so crazy all the time that job um i remember uh doing like uh they would do you know you like you like you, you, you interview your one-to-one or whatever you get but we do that in a shopping center as well so you go to like the shopping center canteen and you sit there and my boss would just be like critiquing my performance and i was like we're all living inside this shopping center it's so weird like it was so it was so strange but yeah that that was that I remember seeing your Facebook statuses from that time and there was always funny stories coming out of that. It was just ridiculous. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And, um, but you know what? Like the cool thing about that job, like, you know, I'm trying to take positives from things as I get older and stuff. And um, I've done a lot of really weird jobs over the time uh, uh, to support myself. And um, I realized that like, I was quite like socially awkward and I was quite weird and I was always... uh, Kind of like in like quite an introverted kid for quite a while. Did that job, and after doing three years of that, I felt like I could kind of just, even if I felt anxious, I kind of had like the skill set to be able just to, to to say hello, even though if I didn't want to, you know, which I didn't have before. Right. And um, right, it makes you kind of um a bit more kind of worldly and 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 ready and stuff. And um, I remember like I made some quite good friends there. Um, uh, and I remember like uh, there being an, an EDL march in Portsmouth one day when uh, when it was on, and my Muslim friends who were working there uh, being really anxious about it. And then uh, the 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 only person marching was one guy who would he was he was shirtless with a Caristella who had a <laughs> he had a, a Union Jack tied around his neck, and um, so we was laughed at him instead obviously yeah. because it was ridiculous. But you had these experiences of people that you you know and, and you share all this stuff with and. Uh, I don't know. I think it makes you a, it makes you a better person. It makes you like uh, appreciate things a lot more when things start going well. I think like one one of the things uh, uh, when I was younger, I always remember uh, one of the, one of the really formative experiences when I was younger was uh, I was I was beaten up quite badly once uh, when I was a kid, and um, and so what what that gave me was an incredible amount of anxiety. I couldn't leave the house for a long time. I had a stutter. I still have it now every now and again, like a stammer when I when I speak and I. I've I've worked for years to try and stop it happening, especially when I'm on stage. That's why I talk in, in a character, uh, kind of slow and um, and ensure of what I'm saying. And, and when I speak fast, I that's one of the things that has, has come along with that. But like what what the the cool thing about um uh, doing these jobs, especially the the the, the, the public facing sales jobs, was it it forced me to have to kind of. And uh, understand how to speak to people uh, of all different backgrounds, kind of uh, posh people, and, and, and like you know, people that I, I would normally kind of run into, and and it forced me to, to kind of uh, have to kind of uh, learn how to talk to people, and I learned like uh, so much, like people that you wouldn't, um, people that you wouldn't normally 
you normally come into in your everyday life, you know, going to punk shows or whatever. Um, so you, you'll, you'd end up in a situation where you can, you feel like, I, I was very lucky that it made me feel like I could, I could kind of talk to anybody, even though I hated doing it and it, it used to make me anxious to do. I, I'm really glad and grateful I did it because it brought such wonderful experiences that I still use the techniques that I've learned from, when I, you know, when you're feeling awkward or anxious and I have to go out and speak to somebody, I know I have to. I still kind of take a deep breath and um, and and keep myself calm in the way that I learned to do when I was doing these jobs. Um, so, like, I, I'm I'm really really grateful for them. I think they like it, it's really it, it's a it's a big part of who I am. It's a big part of my character. It shapes a lot of who I am. From being like a a, a nervous wreck who wouldn't leave the house when I was like a teenager, it's made me into like a. Uh, it's, it's made me into somebody who, who, who can just chat and talk and I never used to be able to do that and now I chat and talk too much Giles like actually reflecting on it with you today has been fun because some of it like it doesn't it doesn't come you don't think about it every day but you perhaps maybe use some of the um the coping mechanisms that you learn when you're working and um and the people skills that you learn when you're working use them every single day of your life you know um it's uh like they're, they're things that I use every single single day like I used to get so anxious when I first started doing Creeper about um, doing interviews and things, especially something you don't know or a phoner. And you, like some days when I'm doing this band, I'll have like eight different interviews on the phone every, like for a day. They'll pop them all together or something like that. And I'll get like so anxious about it, like sometimes. And then I remember, oh, well, this is kind of just the shit you did when you were, you know, a teenager, like or like in your early 20s. Like it's just to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, and 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 um, and everyone's just a person, you know. Like that's the thing. Like everyone's just like you. Everyone's just a person, and so I'm really grateful for those experiences. And I met some such amazing people, mate, doing these jobs as everyone does when you do it. And I always remember um, what my nan said to me before she died, um, when when I was young, and she was like, "Are you started working yet?" And she said, like, "Will William." That's how she sounded. William, have you started working yet, William? And I'd be like, oh, oh no, like, I haven't started yet. She's like, you're going to love working. You have such a laugh working. Uh, you have such a laugh working with people and meeting people. I, I had so much fun in my younger years working. And she was completely right. It, like, it, it just, uh, even, you know, what I do now is work. It, like, I, I work uh, like all, all day, every day on Creeper. Like, it's, um, it's a lot to do. Um, and on my other creative projects, I'm very, very lucky to be in my position. I've worked very hard to be in it as well. Um, but, like, I love, I loved doing those jobs all the ones i just mentioned to you like it was such a it was such a laugh like uh and she was completely right you, you, you just have so much fun and even though things were shit you know like i told you like when i lost my job at, at love film when we were in the nightclub and we called up christian tub and got our jobs back like at the club like we're laughing as we as we're going through the shit and because everyone's kind of going through the same shit as well you know yeah yeah i i think that's such an important part to laugh about it sometimes all of it has to be laughed about man like if, like especially like Right now, we're in this the middle of this massive epidemic, and um, everyone's at home. We're all, all, all stuck inside. If you're not laughing and kind of seeing the humour in it, in, in in a way that like that's kind of inherently British to do as well, like just to laugh at the, you know the the real ridiculousness of this, uh, then it, it just makes you sad. And, and and there's no point spending your life all being sad because you know that's that's no way to live at all. So like I think it's important to laugh at all, all these these points of kind of adversity we come up against because it makes you who you are really and it kind of connects you with other people and the most important thing in the world to me has always been connecting with other people and kind of collaborating with other people doing things with um with each other and so like 
I, I, I'm in this house right now with my girlfriend and our housemate Alex, and uh, we just laugh every day, even though it's it's shit. We all know it's shit. We all want to go outside. We all want to go and have a beer and sit in the sun, um, but we can't. So you just got to got to make the best of it. And I think that's the same with working. It's the same with doing bands. If you can laugh at, at all these things, you know that that's that's the best way to do with it. I think. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Will, thank you so much. You speak so wonderfully and I love your imagination. The, the Creeper story is, is, is so amazing and, it, and it's, it's so much fun to watch it continue to flourish. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's lovely to catch up with you. I feel like I haven't seen you in quite some time, but it's lovely, lovely to, to hear your voice. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No, I can't wait to see you on the, on the tour that will eventually happen, right? I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side, running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.